Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. Keeping Up With Data is the podcast that keeps data enthusiasts up to speed with what is happening in the data world. We bring in the leading minds from the data industry to talk all things career, news, embarrassing stories, failures and successes. So something really important for us here at Precision Sourcing is mental health. It's something we've been focused on a lot over the last year or so. And we're lucky enough to have partnered with the Black Dog Institute. And we're going to be doing a lot of events with them this year. A lot of our events, money will be going towards them. And they're out there aiming to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. So if you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link in the bio on this podcast. And you'll be seeing a lot more information about Black Dog over the next year. Well, welcome once again to a very special episode of Keeping Up With Data with myself, Joel Robinstein. And today we are joined by a great friend of Precision for many years, Deepak Prasad. Deepak, as with every episode at the beginning of it, we let you introduce yourself. And we know you're a BI consultant, but please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so thanks, Joel, first of all, for having me here and giving me an opportunity to share what I know about data to each and everyone who's listening to your podcast. So far, and uh, uh, one of the main reasons for me to get on and do this was the main motivation was always who see some of the most of the times when you have been asked to do a podcast, it's about what that podcast mission is, right? Mm. There are many recruitment companies in the market, but tell me how many are collecting, uh, running surveys and collecting the data and sharing with people and letting know what's the stand of data engineer, analytics engineer, and things like so. When someone from a data company, uh, yeah, I call you guys a data company, uh, (laughs) is asking you to be on a data podcast, you don't say no to them. So that's one of the motivation for me to get on to talk to people who knows data, how the data industry works in APAC specifically. And uh, yeah, that's, um, that's about me. And that's the reason why I'm in the podcast. And let's go on. What do you got for me? Yeah, mate, I'm very excited. Well, look, just to let everyone in on what we're going to be doing today, today's a bit of a special episode. So traditionally on Keeping Up With Data, um, we've gone for more of a top level um, vibe with the podcast, um, chatting to a lot of heads of data, chief data officers. But, you know, the reason we wanted you on today, Deepak, is you're obviously a very um, agile BI consultant. You work across different tech stacks. You're still hands on with the tools. So we're going to get into a lot more about the ever changing nature of the data industry from a bit more of a technical aspect. And we're also going to get into a little bit about your career history um, and also just some stories, buzzwords, what's happening, what's changing. So it could be a really fun episode today, especially for the listeners looking at it from a different angle. So look, as with most podcasts, Deepak, let's start with your story. You know, you've, you've started at university, you've come out of university. Where did it all begin for you and how have you managed to end up where you are? So that that would let me tell you a story. What happens in India? So in India, when uh, we finish our academics, we will be uh, going through going through a drill called campus interview where all the tech companies and the product companies will come to your college, uh, get your, I think you would have, most of the college would, uh, the companies would get into third or fourth year end, uh, where you finish all your semesters, almost have a good aggregate, and then they choose, they will give you a aptitude test to see how you are scoring, it's kind of a psychometric test that we have here. And then I started my career with a company called uh, TCS, Data Consultancy Services, a uh, services-based company. That's where I learned most of my tricks till date. 
um, I am a good consultant or a better than what I used to be. It's all because I owe a big, huge piece to be um, to TCS because they literally taught us everything. Right? So, <clears throat> from yeah. how to wear a tie, what is what are the different types of knots, how to drink a chicken soup uh, in a table. How would you say that you have finished your food? What's the gesher that uh, spoon and forks should say to the waiter? Each and everything that uh, as a consultant, how to talk and how would you say a no? that it's a, uh, that's been well conceived as a good no yeah. what's a bad no each and everything uh, that that are all the good attributes and qualities of a consultant you see in me um, um it needs to be improved whatsoever i got it from tcs and that's where i started i uh, initially started with a black and white screen unix Unix is where I started i started uh, uh, writing um, lots of unix scripts uh, to automate uh, things, uh, moving data from batch files to uh, reports, uh, and then uh, skimming through a lot of log files and finding if there are some errors as and when it happens. Mm. So I started with black and white, old school way of coding. And then um, what happened is I started with production support team. So that used to be a good amount of tickets. So we act on tickets. So whenever you find an issue, there would be a standard operating procedure given to you, and then you follow the procedure and you finish it. So I was doing it for three months, six months, nine months, and then you see the operating procedure and you will always, you will get something in your mind. Why can't this be like that? Yeah. And you start questioning because when you start it, you better follow what's been given to you. But when you pick up the trick, you know, you will find some better way to do it. So when the days passes by, I thought, okay, why can't, why not? Let's take the total number of tickets. Let's see where the majority of tickets are coming from. See if we can automate some of them. So that's where the fascination towards automation and writing piece of codes, not follow little bit standing away from standard operating procedure and doing on your things on your own way all started. So as once I finished this exercise, mm, um, I finished it and I showed that this is the 70 percentage of volume. This is where the 70 percentage of volume comes from, and this is where we can automate it. I have run this piece of code and I have tested it. Do you want to take a look to my tech lead? And everyone was surprised. Hmm. And did you do that all by yourself or hmm. it's all outsourced? <laughs> Brilliant. And then um, they were happy and then one person I owned uh, forget in my life was the account manager. He came in and said, Deepak, you literally turned down. There were around four resources, if I remember correctly. And then uh, after some six, seven months, uh, four became two. And then they split the team into production support and process improvement team. So one automation or someone's idea. And then my also my tech lead who happened to see the piece of code that I've written and everything, he was so enthused. And we also have they they structured the team into two pieces where one still looks into BAU and one starts improving the processes. And later, what happened is client loud and they started getting I mean, the rest are all history. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is, I'm a um, when I when in, when I came into IT, I started with Unix and then started. Uh, that's that's how when you can automate certain things which helps people to invest their mind somewhere else mm. where where they can be of really of high value that's where that's where, that's where, it, all that's where it has to be done so just quickly on that point deepak because yeah. what you've done and described there is and it's it's perhaps an australian way of thinking i don't know but a stigma that a lot of people consider those 
when you're early on in your career with a large consultancy, you are told you sit in this chair and this is what you're doing. You deliver that. That's it. We don't need you to do anything outside of that. And that, you know, is what many people think. But you've just described something there where you said, hey, I've seen a problem. I'm going to go and fix it. And you've then been able to implement that. So was that just your way of thinking? Is it the way that you communicated the idea that you think help it stood out? Or is it just the fact that you went, you know what, I'm going to do it in my own time and then bring it back to the team. And they were like, wow, what was the catalyst to it all? So the catalyst was um, uh, my less confidence on myself when I started. Or uh, to be honest, when I started automating, what happened was I wasn't very confident to show what I have done to my oh. peers because I thought, OK, four month guy going and taking I think they would have done this all by themselves. I think exactly. there is a reason yeah. that they have not done it. So let me make sure whatever I have done is working correctly. And at the same time, I would be having my own BAU. So I can't tell to my manager that I, I didn't close any tickets for the past one week because I was busy automating. <laughs> so it's it's very important thing, right? So you when you have to, when you wanted to do something different, yes, you can do it, but not at the cost of losing something else. Yeah. This is what many people miss uh, in the early stage of career. Yes, in consulting world, you would be asked to do certain things because there are people above you, beside you doing something else. So it's better you do your stuff. But at the same time, as if you want to grow in your career and prosper, so what you have to do is you do your stuff and then do something above it such yeah. that it takes you forward and then you when make sure whatever you are doing is in line, confirm, verify, and then you go to your peers and present. So whatever the notion uh, with the consulting world is fine, that is what it is because the way consulting world works, this is also another topic I thought of speaking, right? What is the difference between the uh, FTE, a full-time equivalent in an organization, and a contractor and a consultant, right? So there is always um, big um, uh, debates going on between all the three. So how I see is uh, the full-time equivalent or the persons, they have many other operations, operational things to do, BAU stuff, and they are busy in maintaining the system to the operational. I say something's failed, they have to get it up running. And the contractors are hired for a specific skill set. So you are good in Informatica, you are good in Tableau, you are good in Altrix for a specific skill. But if you take consultant, consultant don't do coding basically. Consultant sets the framework. So I have to set a recruitment company. I do. do I know a friend called Joel Steen who hmm. has already set up a recruitment company and a data practice. Would I do it from the scratch or would I go to someone who has done it and he knows nooks and corners of how it can go wrong? Yeah, same makes... thing with your building, right? So you want to build a house and uh, you don't know whether it's going to be a three story, five story, seven story, but you plan to watch some YouTube videos and start doing it. But if you speak to a person who has already done it multiple times, he would tell you exactly what should be the depth of the hole you should dig before even you start building. Yeah. Because he would tell you those things where many people go slip. So consultant I see is the one who can see everything from high level and uh, understand the shallowness and depth of what each people are doing and what is their responsibility is and how to build a framework so that none, none can go wrong in between. That's, uh, how, that's what, yeah. That's so what you, 
And you found you found your calling in a sense there early on in your career, which is great. And obviously you went from TCS through Capgemini, a couple of other places. Now you landed in Australia, I think around 2016, which is when yeah. I think you met one of my ex-colleagues, Ben Tanswell, yeah. if you remember. And, yeah. and you used to land yourself a job, I think maybe Analytics 8. Maybe it'd be great if you could just talk about that transition, because obviously it's a move that a lot of people want to make and are making in their lives, moving from overseas. I moved from the UK myself. How was that transition, the culture shock? Any stories that you've got around that would be amazing for people listening. So I would start with culture shock. So hmm. what happened is um, uh, after some time, um, me and my wife, we thought that we are going abroad for sure. Yeah. Uh, we applied a uh, permanent residency uh, status to multiple countries. Mm -hmm. It's not only Australia. We applied to Canada. We applied to Australia. And uh, uh, before that, I was applied uh, L1B with TCS. Unfortunately, it didn't go through uh, mm -hmm. because um, for L1B category, uh, they wanted at least six years of IT experience, a specialized, a specialized skill. So I was having only three years of experience. So my application didn't go through. So the second option was Australia PR. I got the PR. I called my friends in Australia. Each and everyone, whoever I called as soon as I received PRs, told me the same single thing, which is come here and apply for jobs. Yeah. You will get one. Don't sit there. You yeah. will not get one. You have to interact with people. And but you know, human mind is always crazy. They it wants to try all the different things. Um, mm -hmm. uh, whatever your friends say. So that's what happened. So I got into LinkedIn. And then I, uh, so at that time, the famous keyword um, for searching for a um, business intelligence job is DWBI. Yeah. So data warehouse and business intelligence. So I went on to the LinkedIn. I chose the country as Australia, Sydney, Australia, because I know I'm coming to Sydney and then search DWBI. Hmm. Trust me. Uh, and then I. I, uh, I, uh, in my search criteria, uh, there comes a company called DWBI. Uh, it's run by Matt Grorky, if I remember his name yeah. correctly. And then I messaged him, uh, hey, my name is Deepak. I'm, I booked my flight ticket to Australia. I think it's 17th of June, 2016. Yeah. Uh, I'm coming there on this date. Uh, today I'm messaging you in April 5th or something, April mid. Um, do you have anything lined up? Uh, and then he asked, uh, then he said, why can't we schedule a Skype call? Then I said yes, and then uh, the man, internet wasn't this much sophisticated. <laughs> Skype is so crappy by that, that time. Then, yeah. and then we had frequent disconnection and with the internet and whatever, but I was able to explain on Skype what's my skill set and stuff. Then he said, I think I got something for you. There is a specialized consulting firm uh, in Click called Analytics 8. Do you want to talk with them? And then I had a chat. Um, and then uh, what happened is um, one thing Mark, uh, sorry, Matt gave, told me was it's going to be syntax driven. And then I was very happy because in India to crack the interview, it's more about syntax, less about yeah. the soft skills and the negotiation yeah. part and consulting piece because it's technical first and then they get into the functional. Um, the interview was conducted by one guy who was very specific about syntax. Even if you miss a semicolon, you wouldn't be happy in the interview. Wow. So, <laughs> so I took the interview and I said hi and his name. And then he said, uh, "Here is your." Uh, he said, "Hi, how are you? Good. Um, I have sent you a notepad." And he sent a notepad with fifteen questions in it in Skype. And then uh, my screen was shared, and I was typing questions uh, in notepad. 
and then um, he said good and he asked some basic questions in click tableau uh, at that time click and tableau wasn't this popular it was not, popular but yeah, not popular. popular yeah yeah uh, so and then he asked and then he said that's good and then we had a second round and um, second round was more funny he said uh, you're good and then he asked me all the questions and then finished and then he said the next round would be consulting uh, round yeah and then it's done and then uh, i asked how what's my score you're good you got 15 almost and then 15 out of 15 and um, i think 14 it's not 15 and maybe i got one wrong and then and but his reaction was so neutral i thought okay maybe australians are not expressive yeah right that's that's that uh, then i thought okay that's that's my first cultural shock yeah okay he said just yeah good you got around 14 to 15 that's it yeah and then call closed okay then <laughs> and then the director um i don't know whether i can mention his name here so let's say director of analytics it yeah. called um and the, i still remember the first two questions he asked i am very sure this question is going to help everyone uh, he asked me what are all the qualities of a bi consultant <laughs> then i gave him a five to 10 minutes of explanation. Then he asked me again, have you covered everything? Then I gave a, another five minutes of explanation and then he said, good. Then he went for the second question, which is what are all the good, what are all the qualities of a good BI consultant? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he's got there. I was awestruck and then um, I, because I, I almost dumped my brain on the first question itself but that was I mean, that was that was a hell of an interview i would say yeah. uh, because um, you have almost juiced out on one topic and then if someone is doing a second question on that uh, that means he has still to see something more or maybe i missed some, some something on that then i finished it and uh, then i've been offered fantastic so thinking back to that time you know, you had those two questions, you then versus you now, like what did you learn in that interview that you would do differently now? Like what would be the change that you would make? So uh, I, that's a very good question, Joel, again. So the good quality, the qualities of a consultant is someone who sees everything um, uh, high level and able to act if required in such a lowest cardinal level, lowest level of detail. So someone who can get onto the helicopter level of high and again, get to the lowest level on the ground and solve the problem. That would be the qualities of a consultant. Mm. But the good quality, the qualities of a good consultant would be he will do that. But at the same time, he mentors, he coaches, he makes sure everything is going as per the line. He, he puts a governance layer on what he is doing, what is project is doing is everything is doing so those are all the things i learned when i came here that's why many people ask me what's your title when uh, uh, um is it bi developer bi i mean i always like to be called a consultant that's the reason i never moved from uh, up this kind of roles to a permanent to a company or whatsoever because i felt i might be wrong but that's what i felt i felt you are, you, the borders would be so closed if you are in a specific role with a specific skill set and for a specific roles and responsibilities. But the moment you put yourself as a consultant, mm. everything comes to you. I mean, trust me, the problems that comes to a consultant is not a problems that usually goes to a normal people. It would be 
something different. Like I should be able to uh, adjust the levers in people side, process side, and technology side. But it wouldn't. Be, it would be different for uh, other set of individuals because sometimes, as a consultant, you have to. It's not about only technology. Business yeah. first, technology second. That mindset is the biggest mindset change for me that happened over the years. And the second mindset change that happened to me is I thought using very good acronym and data and uh, explaining everything with uh, high techy buzzwords, that means you are smart. And that was one of the second myth buster for me. If you are able to explain anything and everything as simple as to you are explaining to your kid or your mom, that's when you are excelling in your career. That's a second myth buster I had to go through. Well, that leads us very nicely into one of our common questions on this podcast, Deepak. You've done yeah. well to segue there, mate. So explain like I'm five. Explain like I am your five-year-old sat at that table. What is it that you actually do on a day-to-day basis? So I so on day-to-day basis, I go through lots and lots of information and I tell a story. Perfect. Yep. A Just lot, that. I, that's it. That's it. So I tell a story, but only thing is after listening to my story, no one should sleep. Hmm. It should be awake. Yeah, right. You should be awake after hearing what you've got to say. That's awesome. And, Do you know what? That anyone could follow. You're right. You look at information and you tell a story. I mean, is that not just what people within data should be doing right now? You know, without right, the story, so, nothing happens. And most of the time, Joel, um, in my experience, what happens is story boarding happens in dashboards right yeah so and the pro most of the dashboards what it do trust me the operational people or the uh, executive people who you build the dashboard if you are seeing the same dashboard for 365 days do you think you will make anything different than what you did before hmm. the but the main secret sauce here is how you are gathering that information and orchestrating the dashboard such that each day, the dimension that you have about the data and the action you took yesterday is should be different than what you're making today. So that's the secret sauce of building a dashboard. So I can throw a bar chart, I can throw a by chart. I and this is one of the reason I should thank COVID, right? Nowadays, I've stopped explaining what is bar chart, line chart, pie chart, how why data uh up, being up to date is very important. We literally stopped for many of the consultants. We stopped on these topics because people understood that every day, COVID Sydney, COVID nineteen Sydney statistics. When they type on Google, they should they will know. They will look at the date when the information is provided, what time, and the best thing comes now. People understand the definition of data. If there are eighteen thousand. 927 cases is it today or as of now cumulated and how many people are in icu how many people are in still in um with the support without the support so these are all the things right we are business intelligence specialists data engineers analytical engineers it's all because of that definition of data perfect trust me perfect and you know what deepak um I guess that's one of the reasons why we wanted to to speak today and kind of dive into what it's like to be someone within the data 
day to day, who's actually hands on with the data at day to day. It leads me to my next line of questioning. You're the first person we've had on the podcast who we would consider a career contractor in a way, yeah. like you already mentioned, someone who likes to go in and look at everything from the top level and then deep dive and top level. So you obviously interact with the data market very differently than a lot of permanent people within um, the industry. As we know from, as you mentioned, our, our talent survey this year, that the data market is 70% or more permanent people. So how do you find it different navigating the data market as a contractor, whether that be you know, with recruiters in terms of getting a role, how many roles you see out there? I'd just love to dive into that that topic a little bit with you. So that's going to be a big topic. Let yeah. me just <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So that, so why have you chosen contract? Let's just start there. Nice and easy. So, so this market, uh, without even looking at the stats, I can tell you whatever the number you said is exactly right. 60 to 70 percentage, it's all contracting. Yeah. And 30 percentage is BAU. OK, yeah. so the permanent roles. Yeah. So how I see from enterprise, right? So you, I hire people and keep them permanently for something Operationally, I wanted it to be run permanently. I have permanent resources. Mm -hmm. I hire contractors to come and do something for me and then vanish so that the people in the BAU can take care of. I hire consultants who have supreme skills in doing whatever we are going to do as per our mission for next two or three years. But they are the ones who are going to set the rail gods for my contractors and my system people to follow on. So these are all the three needs of an organization, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm very sure you would understand it. But the reason why I had to reiterate it is because if if we see from one enterprise and then we go from 100 to 1000 enterprise, the needs are exactly the same. So 30 to 40 percentage of the requirements or in the market is in data or non-contracting and contracting is for the specific skill set. Can I have the best Tableau consultant who can come and come up with a template which is of best practice, which can load in a browser in less than five seconds and can orchestrate a data modeling which is as efficient as possible and do it so that when it fails, when it goes through when, um, metrics, definition and everything, it's all has to be documented and set and knowledge has to be transitioned. So the guy who's sitting inside the house maintaining, holding the fort can hold it easily. And regarding the contracting market, how I see it's to be a world is, it's based on the needs of the market as well. Yeah. So 2016-17, trust me, the amount of BI roles in the market was twice as the amount of roles that is for ETL, data engineers and data transformation or analytical engineer, the new role. We are going to talk about it, analytical engineers and why this role is going to come a lot. So let's say if there are 100 BI roles, there were only 50 data warehouse roles. Yeah. People thought if we have a good dashboard, that means we are running a good data driven organization. And then I think it's if I'm not wrong, around 2018 end ish, we had Royal Commission going on. Yeah everywhere asking questions about the data, quality, concurrency, staleness, definition again, and then everyone was worried about the quality of data first, and then the dashboards shifted. Definitely. I have to say Royal Bank <laughs> Commission has really done its part. And yeah. then what happened is I really saw 
there is a big movement happening between uh, so same the ratio shifted the bi roles reduced still yeah. there are roles of bi uh, I mean, but I had to correct my statement. It was still uh, 50 uh, or 100, whatever the number I told before. The BI, the number of roles were still same, but data warehouse roles become double than. Yeah. That means it's more than double than BI. BI. Yeah, so yeah. that's what happened in the market. So people understood that quality of the data is more important. Let it run a, a machine learning algorithm or a computer vision or anything. Without your data being correct, there is no point in having a sophisticated dashboard which shows the elegant visualization for people to make decisions. Because decision is not going to be based on the beauty of the dashboard, but on the quality of the data. Right. So, and then what happened is uh, the another best thing happened. So in 2000, uh, so this is the stats that I went through recently. <clears throat> in 2010, uh, we had uh, processed around two zettabytes of data and all over the world, two zettabytes of data we have processed all over the world. In 2020, we have processed 44 zettabytes of data, which means our data volume has grown significantly around 22 folds. Just imagine this volume. So whoever would have seen this uh, stats in and around 2018, 19, 20 would have definitely moved their career towards data. Yeah, 100%. So for the past, if if you can generate such a huge volume of data in such a short span of time, then just wait for what's going to happen in 2030. So 44 multiplied by another 10, yeah. maybe 440 zettabytes of data. So that's what got me very keen. Makes sense. Good. So and then and then your question, right? So uh, this is how I see the market. So there are three or four kinds of roles that's going to be there in the data market ever. Mm -hmm. One is going to be data engineer, the one who is going to take care of the infrastructure side of the data. So setting up the uh, say a storage, a compute ready for someone to work on. The infrastructure needs to be there, sitting there, and also the data should be pouring automatically. So the Basically, the pipe will be set so the water keeps flowing. And yeah, yeah. what happens with the water is all decided by the analytical engineers. They are going to write the transformation logics. Okay, all the currencies are going to be transferred to which currency? Australian dollars. Okay, all the zeros are what? Male. All the ones are what? Female. Okay, yeah, yeah. they are the ones who are going to code the transformation piece. And then the BI guys. But one thing that changed a lot over last three years was ETL versus ELT. Yeah, yeah. So we were all ex traditionally what we were doing is we are extracting, transforming, and then loading. Then so this created a hiccup in the process, saying okay, so that means business has to wait until the data is getting transformed. So the data scientist basically will be waiting for more than one year until you confirm, finish the transformation, and confirm it to them. Data scientists can't wait. So what they said is, why can't we just take as good as the source and shut it down in a place and start transforming? So extract and then load and transform. And many of the practice that was written before five to six years back has to be rewritten. There one reason is before six, seven years, what is this? What is the price that you would have paid for one TB hard disk? Like $100 or $200? Now you can get it for what nine dollars per month. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, what are the best practices that has been uh, uh, documented before five, six years, or most of the time based on the storage or efficient in storing? Now, people would say, if I can process, if I can, if I'm going to spend one million dollar to reduce the storage so that I can save some bill, instead I would pay off of it and get get storage because storage of peanuts now. Yeah, exactly right. So now. So you have to change everything based on what changed. If you still stick up with the old methodology and still if you are running a shop, which is perfectly fine for the uh, new uh, I mean, with the old stack, that's fine. But what I'm trying to say is the reason for the change is not only because of the tech change, everything changed. So yeah. the prices of the storage change, the prices of the compute changed. If you in um, enterprise, if you just divide the cost into OPEX or CAPEX, basically they will operational expenses and capital and expenses. It's all going to be OPEX now. There is no going to be CAPEX because infrastructure is all, it's all going to be as a service. Everyone, every every other thing that you are going to incur in IT is all going to be uh, as, a, as a service. You're going to pay monthly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. No capital and expenses. So as the market's changed so much, Deepak, and as we, you know, all we hear from from heads of data and data managers is we haven't got enough people to do the projects. We've got too much data. It's it's all over the place. And as someone who's at still, you know, as you mentioned, at that ground level, seeing what's happening uh, on the front lines as such, what's it like for someone like you in terms of your workload now, in terms of the stresses upon your role um, and the requests that you're getting from the business? Are you are you fully in the camp of we are talent short? We need more people. Or are you thinking that there's other ways that we'll maybe deal with that problem? So, so when it comes to the amount of data and um, the problem is still going to be there until and unless we decides the roles and responsibilities of each people <clears throat> in the tech stack, in the data stack, and how would you define, right? 99% of the problem that's currently remains unsolved is not because of technology. Trust me, technology is definitely going in its full pace. Sure. It's all based on the behavioral pattern and the uh, when the governance around data. That's what has to be redefined. How? What are all the roles and responsibilities of a data steward who defines what is sales, what is margin, what is how would I calculate sales and revenue in marketing department or in sales department? Is it the same as you would do it in any department? How can I centralize my information and catalog it? And how can I govern it? That's the problem we are trying to solve. So the skill sort, the skill shortage and everything, it's it can be solved on, on the way because what's happening is there are two options when you choose a technology nowadays. One is called build or you buy. Yeah. So if you want to build everything from the scratch, that's when you take a path of writing all lines of code from the scratch and do it in your own way as per your organization mandates and the best practices that's true. Or else you can buy everything as a service and based on the compute or the licensing cost you're going to pay. So Makes sense. the choice is still with the uh, with the enterprises, so you you can manage the skill shortages by coming up with some products which are self-serviceable. Yeah. But if you choose to build everything from nitty gritty and say um, you have to do all yourself, then you will have to go through the skill shortage and then you will have to fill it and things like that. So build versus buy is 
one big thing that every other organization needs to make wisely. Yeah, it's interesting you say that as well, because I guess what we've got two camps there is in a market such as we're in right now, as recruiters, obviously, we see a lot of different things. This is a kind of market where we see consultancies and product companies do very well. They're very busy um, because of exactly what you're saying, right? Be but the general vibe that we hear from a lot of companies, we'd like to build it ourselves. We just don't have the capacity. But a lot of the you know, quality candidates on the market, they want to be part of a build, right? They don't necessarily want to go into somewhere that is in buy mode because then they're just dragging, dropping, plugging and playing and maintaining. So it's, it's an interesting counterbalance between the two for a company to know which to go for. And the big fear that everyone sees, and it's the same with everything from you know, recruitment fees to anything else. What if we spend three, four million dollars buying something and we plug it in and it doesn't do what we need it to do? And you, all you see is that big line of money. But then there's the other side of things. Well, what if we try to build it ourselves and we spend four years doing it and it doesn't work? But a lot of companies go down that route because at least they don't see that initial cost of, well, this is going to cost three million dollars up front or something like that. Right. So. I mean, you've obviously been involved in some of those decision making processes along the way, and I'm sure it's organizational dependent. Um, and you're someone who's tool agnostic as well. You know, you're across a number of different tools. So do you see any particular uh, software companies or companies that you've worked with, consultancies, whatever, doing things extremely well or ones that you've maybe worked with yourself in the past? So one thing that I would appreciate is you have a good <clears throat> chat with the data bunch of people, the bunch of people in your data stack. If I'm talking specifically about data, you need to have a transparent chat with your business and your techie people who will clearly tell you what's happening. What's the current mm -hmm. volume? How do you think a volume gets grown? Do you have any prospect of us working uh, have with the other company as a partner? Meaning, are we planning to onboard any new data? What's the pros what's the prospect of our data going 10 folds in another one year, five folds in another one year? What are the different variables we are working? So are we going to bring in more products? What is our initial mission statement? These are all some basic questions that I think every leader should ask the data people and the business people. So sometimes what happens is if you go and ask business, what is what do you want uh, as a data? Let's say chief data officer goes to business people and ask, hey, I'm the new chief data officer. Tell me what you want. Can I tell you what business will ask? I want data as soon as it is generated. That would be the first and primary ask of any business people, right? But if you honestly ask them, then you go and ask them, why do you need it immediately? Then they would say, no, we want to see as soon as it's there. Okay, then what you're going to do uh, in that immediate data with that immediate data is that anything that you can do with that immediate data then you go next level next level next level of question after some 30 40 minutes of discussion you will understand that they actually don't need data immediately they need to make some decisions which are time prone and one hour is okay or two hours okay and or four hours okay and this is the shape of the data they wanted and this is the volume that they are expecting it to grow and then you would talk with your tech people and say guys this is the plan this is the storyboarding that done after speaking with the business what do you think is achievable yeah. do you think with the tech stack that we got and the business wants is matching or not matching Mm. This is how it should work. But 
what i see in the market is everyone is getting excited reading about what airbnb is doing what uber is doing what netflix is doing and they want to do the same thing in their organization netflix completely different man if i watch money he's today the rec- ozark becomes my recommendation my recommendation list tomorrow yeah both are into money yeah. both are into money laundering money cleaning whatsoever right so it the mlops the the machine learning algorithm the recommendation engine has to run then and there and decide what i need to watch next but think insurance think banking think i mean except stock market except stock market if you think any other organization where you need immediate data i would definitely question them why do you need it and if you see most of the time most of the time 99 i can say very confidently i can say 99 percentage of the time if you see the problem with the data is it's due to purely or loosely defined definitions exactly exactly no i agree i agree um all right let's break the let's break the um the the theme that we're on at the minute um deepak and, and lighten the mood a little bit i know you've come prepared um as most people do for our podcast with a data joke and it's something that you wanted to dive into so I'm, I'm thinking that you might have a good one up your sleeve um for everyone listening at the minute so i'm going to throw it to you i've also got myself one now, i don't normally do one but obviously i haven't got my co-host here today so i i will i will throw one at you as well um yeah. but we're going to start with you and see what you've come up with as a data joke Okay so this joke is very personal to me and uh, I have gone it through many times so this is in one organization in Australia I've been tasked to uh, come up with a procurement dashboard so where is the organizational spend where is the 20 percentage of which are all the 20 percentage of company who is taking 80 percentage of our money and things like that that kind of analysis nice. so uh, I I finished the dashboard development i had to build it to the long uh, set of stakeholders i invited mm-hmm. everyone to the meeting and then i'm explaining the dashboard what is pareto analysis how it call can work together how can we predict uh, where we can save cost together who are all the companies we have to speak uh, in procurement uh, uh, category this category that category i'm going through all the dashboards of 30 minutes like suddenly i'm like receiving lot of accolades people are saying this is the dashboard um, i wish i had it before 3 years i would have made some wise decisions and things like that and suddenly i see one person pop up his hand and the question was how can i download data from this dashboard so <laughs> so the, so so the main purpose so that's that's the usual one you ask any bi consultant anyone who's been presenting and more, more ambitious uh, and working on a product um, or anything and final question and one definite question in each and every showcase of us is forget about the dashboard how can i download the data from it oh, so right. that's that's one of the classic one i always tell people doesn't matter how beautiful a dashboard looks or whatsoever please give an option to people to download data <laughs> but it it is going other way as well what's happening is you have a dashboard analysis pre computes everything done and get it ready for them and what happens is people right click and download the data and they do the same exact computes in the excel no exact way. computes in their favorite bi tool so which is what exactly you don't want to happen because when you when they when they see it in the dashboard the governance is all tied the metric definition is tied they can't break the numbers and things like that so whenever you go to your next meeting or next showcase make sure you tell that by yourself 
this is how you download the data and you can skip that question that's brilliant mate. that's brilliant do you know what i even i had a meeting with my team today and as you know we're not super data savvy even though i know you call us a data company deepak which is very nice of you but um i had everything in a nice graph nice easy dashboard and and someone just said to me today oh can i just see see all the raw data behind it i'm like i did all that it took me ages come on man like what are we doing here so, so you, can, you can definitely understand what i'm saying then oh mate it happens from the most basic level all the way up to everything that you're doing on a on a daily basis and you know what everybody learns differently everybody ingests data differently everybody reads things differently right so you know you could create the best dashboard in the world and you show a thousand people there's always gonna be one person who, who like you say is gonna say that right so very good. Well, my, my, mine's not much of a, a story, Deepak. Mine's just a joke that I got off the internet, but I'm going to throw it at you, see if I get a laugh out of you, see what happens. Um, all right, let's see how we go. If you think that your phone is collecting data and the TV is spying on you is bad enough, well, the vacuum has been gathering dirt on you for years. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, mate. I like that one. I saw, you know, I had to go through a lot of jokes to find one that I was happy with, and I got a laugh out of you. As, so long, as, awesome, as long as what you talk in your home and um, it's not dirt only. Yeah, right. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Um, well, look, we're coming to the end, mate. This has gone very quickly, as they often do. So um, let's wrap up with a couple of um, key things. Number one, um, we ask everybody on every podcast, books, learning, how did you learn? Are there any books that you would recommend to other people? you know, in your shoes um, that you could kind of suggest for anyone? So um, I would recommend, I think I can show you hmm. just behind. So this is the first recommendation. I don't know whether... Oh, that, yeah, the big book of dashboards. We got it. Big book of dashboards. Nice. And uh, the second book I think I'm currently reading and I'm just loving it so much is this book. Building, Building Analytics yeah. Teams. Oh, great. By John K. Thompson. These are all the two books that um, men, uh, that I, I finished big book of dashboards before, uh, say, two years. But building analytics team is, gives me so high. Some of the things that I've gone through, uh, it's it's exactly pictured and some uh, someone has written about it. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing. And see, what I would like to uh, also target and tell people is automation or don't see automation as automation see how you can spend your time somewhere else if automation takes care of your job and for me one of the main reason why i'm doing all this is because my love for data yeah so uh to be precise in 2008 9 10 during my initial it years there was no click there's no tableau uh power bi or, or whatsoever so it was all the old Cognos and MicroStrategy. MicroStrategy is better now. It's all pre-calculated and aggregated cubes sitting in. And whenever someone makes a click in browser, what happens is uh, the data gets fetched from hard disk and then it comes to the browser and there is a small delay and things like that. That's when the in-memory analytics came. So all the data sits in RAM in memory. So that's why click and Tableau became popular. So when I saw that when RAM when to gain speed when data if data moves to in memory which is RAM if it is giving this much of speed I was so enthused in 2011 I predicted that Tableau and Click is going to be the forefront of the game and they're going to gain I just didn't say that I put some money in Tableau when it was trading and then I gained some money too fantastic <laughs> so same thing so when you are 
when you believe in something, um, when you know that that's going to be the future, you invest in your time, you invest your time in it, learning it and also earning from it. So it's up to you. At the same time, now what I see as a pattern is Snowflake mm. is going to be the name of the game. Oh, man, the- even, yeah, in our survey, it's gone, two years ago, it popped up for the first time in our talent survey. Last year, it was the most desired tool to be learned of anything within the data industry. So they're doing a great job over there at Snowflake. I mean, they changed everything, Joel. Do you know one of the reason, main reason uh, Snowflake or Google Cloud, everyone is going to adapt the same st- uh, technologies from Snowflake. But trust me, I've been in this industry for say 14, 15 years. As 15 years, there is some wish list that would be in your heart, right? Oh, if it would have been like this, it would be good. If it would have been like this, it would be good, 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 good. And suddenly you see a platform like Snowflake and you s- suddenly realize all of your wish list came true. Right. right? And whenever people ask me, how would you explain Snowflake to anyone? Um, this is how I explained, right? So before 10 years, if someone would have come to talk to me and told me that you can't send money from one account to another account using your mobile number, I would have definitely laughed. I would have definitely <laughs> laughed, right? Mm. So now pay ID is everywhere. You can transfer hell and, and whatever the money that's allowed on the limitations that you got, you can send it. Same with Snowflake. Just imagine if all the companies, all the enterprises, all the departments are in Snowflake or Azure or Google Cloud platform whatsoever. And just if an organization share an account number of theirs, the whole organization data can be simply shared. That's it. Do you know what? I've been looking for a really good way to explain it. And like, honestly, you've nailed it there. So on that bombshell, Deepak, we're going to wrap things up because I'm not allowed to go over the hour mark. I've been told this many times before and we're already at that point. Um, So firstly, thank you for coming on. You've definitely hit a different angle, like we said at the beginning of the pod, in terms of what's going on in the data market, how, you know, businesses are interacting with their data. I think really importantly, as we hit on the Royal Commission, especially as well, and how things change. So um, cannot thank you enough for coming on. It's been an absolute. Oh, I have a small. I thought I I would. One finishing thought. Uh, it would be one minute. I would I like to share one. a content that would help. I mean, that is what I want to talk about every other day. I want to talk to you as well. If it is going to help all of your people who are watching this episode, then here is it. The impact of clean water and the impact of clean data is same. While mm. we are aware that dirty water can have impact on people's health we are less willing to accept or recognize the dirty what data can have an impact on the health of an organization so if you want to make your organization grow not just data driven to make the best decision put your money on data fantastic is this a slide that could be shared deepak we can put this out there yeah i can share it not a problem genius mate absolutely genius well on the bombshell of Clean water and clean data, Deepak. You're an absolute legend, mate. It's been uh, awesome knowing you all these years, and um, I'm glad that we managed to do this today. No worries, no worries. All good. Good Thank you. Thanks for listening.